the Marvelous Post Flip Podcast, a podcast that all things Marvel on the Fangirl Zone. I am Sean Fangirl S. And I'm Steve. And I'm Mischievous Dave. And today we're talking about episode four of season one of Moon Knight titled The Tomb, written by Alex Munahan, Peter Cameron, and Sabir Prasada, and directed by Justin Benson and Agnes Moorhead. <laughs> this is a boomer, boomer reference. We're sorry <laughs> Actually, about that, Aaron. It, it, yeah, it's Aaron, Aaron Moorhead. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So Laura Fangirl ass Croft, (laughs) she escaped amidst clutches. I I don't know what happened. I fell asleep. I woke up in a sarcophagus. Things were weird, but I'm back. I'm very happy. Yay! I was wondering what that noise was—that knocking noise on your on that sarcophagus. Like, what is that? (laughs) Yeah, fall asleep in the wrong place. I guess you know, whatever. (laughs) So I know you guys totally missed me. (laughs) <laughs> I missed a third of the show here, but let's talk about the now and the reaction to the tomb. So what was everyone's initial reaction? Because I am starting to find more Easter eggs, so I'm like really getting into this one myself, but I'll talk about that in a second. So Steve, what was your initial reaction to episode four? Well, this was Indiana Jones and meets the... Uh, the mummy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, getting to see Steven back was great. Oh, of course, Mark did popping one in the nose. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. But yeah, fun episode and what a way to end it. Yeah. yeah. Dave, <laughs> Dave I, I'm wondering what kind of craziness you are about to instill. <laughs> well, I, I know we're not rating it, but I, I'd give it uh, if we were. Three and a half out of five screaming Oscars. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it too. I totally geeked out over the uh, the Pharaoh reveal and yes. who he really was. Oh, geeked out! I geeked out. I love that stuff. You're right, Steve. Very much a Indiana Jones feel to it. I was really digging this, and like I said, Easter eggs abound, and I started going down rabbit holes because. I like Egyptian mythology, except mm. I, I've never, like, really dived in. And so I'm like, ooh, what's that? Ooh, what's that? Ooh. <laughs> so there was a lot of that. So my Google history now is, like, crazy Egyptian references. And, well, which god could this be? And what about that? And where the heck did that one come from? So I'm definitely giving it a thumbs up because it had me, like, thinking more and getting really distressed at the same time because we only have two episodes left. And I'm like, yeah. how are we getting through anything? <laughs> like, I feel like I should have 10 more episodes coming because this is like building up so big. And I just have all sorts of little tidbits that are like falling into place and I'm getting excited and I want more. So <laughs> I, I just have to say Marvel totally knows how to build the characters that not everybody is they're not they're not mainstream, I guess. And it it's pulling me in. So I love that Marvel does that so well. I laugh because we're really getting into it. Well, there's only two left and that's it. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Tell me something and, and yeah, and no powers in this one. Except I actually have a question about that, which apparently we'll get to eventually, but big question marks for me. Switching we'll talk of about identities. Soon. Not that. No? Actually no? really okay. Really, you know, if there's no God and no power in him, how the heck did a couple things happen is what I was wondering. (laughs) So, Steve, take it away. Let's jump in and then I can ask you guys all my questions. Right. 
Mark and Steven must find balance as supernatural threats ahead look to stop them. Oh my god. Was this written by the same people who did like all of other... Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Stuff happens. You made a pun. You said balance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Salim, the avatar of Osiris, places Conchu's Ushbati in a gallery within the chamber of the gods as we were talking before going on air. There's a lot of gods stuck in that little cubby hole. Yes. At first, I thought it was like Indiana Jones where you have to choose which uh, chalice to drink from. And I thought, well, maybe they're just trying to confine some of it. But no, I think it's, I don't know. Don't cross the sirens, I guess. (laughs) I counted 10, and obviously they didn't linger on any long enough to figure out who they all were. No. And I know I had read. Well, I just know that one of them was smaller than the others, so that's why I assumed that all 10 were different. I didn't catch that. But I know I'd read that the Enid is not always the same group, so that's why I'm wondering if this is like the last one standing, almost the bully group at this point. They're yes. like, oh, you're you're going to do something? We're going to encase you in stone and put you here. Ha ha. I wonder if they're going to all pop free. They're going to try and free Conchu and they end up freeing all of them. That'd right. be awesome. So elsewhere on the edge of the desert, Layla struggles to wake up Stephen Grant, who has collapsed under the monumental act of finding the coordinates of the star placements for an evening over a thousand Egyptian nights ago when Amit was imprisoned in her Ushbati. As Arthur Harrell's militant disciples close in on them, Layla is unable to drag Stephen's unconscious body through the sand. <laughs> they figured out how to do it, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a roll on the hay and there's a roll downhill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one way to do it. <laughs> saving them is the dark of the night providing cover as Layla manages to push Stephen over the side of the dune to relative safety. Layla's quick thinking, as you're shooting a flare into a disciple's truck and, and onto a crate of ammo, the truck bursts into flame as Stephen staggers over to Layla in shock of the wreckage Layla handled. Didn't she say something like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just another day for me. So that is my first question. Okay. Like We see Stephen get shot in the leg at least twice. And then he gets up and he's walking and there's no issues later. So how exactly is this happening? I thought I I had misinterpreted the first time I watched it, but I just watched it again. Yeah. So I watched it twice too and I didn't see him get shot in the leg. I have to say. Well, I was looking for it this time. That's why I'm like, wait a second. He gets shot, then she rolls him down. Will it burst or anything like that? You see the way the bullet hits. There's like a spray. And then he rolls down the hill. I just thought it was sand spray and they missed. Oh, you think that's what it is? Yeah. I'm going to have to watch it a third time now. Do it again. But I'm like, wait a second. If he got shot, how the heck is he walking around and no problems unless he Mm. has some healing factor that hasn't been told to the rest of us. I'm going on the side that they missed. Yeah, I think so. All right. I'll (laughs) take your word for it. She pushed him down the dune, so he had gotten up before that. Yeah, take your word for it. Yeah, I, I do, like Dave said, they were trying to hit both of them, and I do remember seeing a one hit the sand and it splash up to Stephen, but it wasn't a hit. Okay, yeah. yeah you you would cry like, leg. get up crying like a little baby knowing him. <laughs> not that I would, not so would I. <laughs> Especially with those big-ass bullets, I'm just saying. Yeah. In their battered jeep, Layla and Steven follow the coordinates to Amit's tomb, hoping Haro hasn't beaten them there. Layla and Mark, seen in the reflection 
of the side mirror are in agreement that once they reach Haro, it should be Mark present to deal with the zealot. However, Stephen does not agree, not willing to give all of this up. Stephen states, which was cracking me up, that he and Mark had an agreement. When he was done with Kanchu, Mark would disappear for good. Mark's like, hey, wait a second. (laughs) It's not what I said, not exactly, because the deal didn't involve getting all of us killed. Of course, Layla's disappointed and looks at Stephen and asks why she wasn't made aware of the deal, that Mark would disappear from her life forever. And Stephen, and his quick thinking, I guess, with his foot in his mouth, counters that Mark had already disappeared from her life, much to Mark and Layla's stunned silence. I love the the reflection look, like, yeah, oh, crap, yeah, Yeah. he's not lying. Nope. Layla relents, and the new duo won't allow Mark to lone wolf his way out of this scenario. It's just Layla and Steven now, on the open road. Oh, wait, (laughs) we're going to walk now. Yeah. Raiding Harrow's abandoned dig site above ground, Layla and Steven gather any supplies they can find, which wasn't much. They'll have to find another way to Amit's loose body within the tomb before Haro and his crew can. Man, that camp deserted. Kind of go, huh, I wonder if they've already got Amit up and she took them all out. Well, how did they not see that blood and stuff? Right. I still don't understand all that. But hey, there's more to come, I'm sure. Mark makes another plea for Stephen to relinquish the body. Stephen argues if Mark had already been in these type of situations, then he has too. It's the same body. He can unlock it with muscle memory or something. <laughs> Mark reminds him that Stephen isn't alone. He's here if he needs it. Stephen shuts him down and acknowledges he's not alone. He has Layla. Frustrated, Mark presses if Stephen is, is, is in love with his wife as Stephen walks away from Mark's reflection. That's a uh, love triangle for you. <laughs> Strangest one I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> Carrying their grappling gear on, Stephen tells Layla he's been waiting for this moment his entire life. He's been dreaming of such a grand adventure. Layla smiles and acknowledges the sentiment of wanting what they've never had. Sharing an intimate moment, just as Layla's about to kiss him, Stephen hastily admits that Mark only left and pushed her away to protect her from Khonshu, who had targeted her as his next avatar. Boy, talk about boiling a moment there, Stephen. I know. I was like, oh, say that after you get a kiss. Yes. (laughs) I was just like, okay, this is a. Were you afraid of what was going to happen? You know, why you're like, oh, wait. Yeah. It was just very awkward. Yes, it was. Stephen feels that she deserved to know that, to which Lila replies, she doesn't need protection, just honesty. And that's more of a Stephen thing than a Mark thing. Kindling the intimacy, Stephen moves in for a kiss this time. I thought he was about to pee his pants. I was waiting for him to be like, oh, that was brilliant. Yes. It's like, please don't comment on it, though. Layla rappels down into the pit, entering the tomb first. As Stephen watches overcome with adoration, Mark takes control of his hands and clocks Stephen in the face, knocking him (laughs) into the pit. That was hilarious. As Stephen takes in the wonder and awe of their adventure, which now involves a pair of marble sphinxes guarding the entrance, Layla can't help but be amused and charmed by it. Pretty cute. That whole thing, though, it was really cool looking. Now yeah. it's like, oh, I want to go and see this stuff. I know. So, Stevie notices Layla's tribute to her late father, his initials, in sand at the entrance. She shares that her father was an archaeologist on a mission who died chasing his dream. Stephen reassures her that her father would be positively beaming to find his daughter out here, proving the existence of Egyptian deities. 
debating which of the six paths each headed in each different direction to pursue among the maze. Stephen deduces there is no structural reason for each route. Suddenly, Stephen ponders the paths reflect the eye of Horus, the royal symbol of protection in the afterlife. Astonished, Layla and Stephen realize Amit's final avatar was a pharaoh. So cool. The six paths represent the six points in the and the six senses, using the eye of Horus as a map to navigate the maze. And with the avatar being Amit's voice, they pursue the path that represents the tongue. Stephen and Layla discover a small room with a giant slab in the center. Noticing the mural artwork above them, Layla believes it depicted Heka priests or sorcerers of their time based on the mass and ceremonial stance. They would have been entombed here to protect the pharaoh. That's an awful fate. Yeah. Shining in his flashlight, Stephen realized the giant slab was covered in fresh blood while Layla spots the bloody canopic jars and ancient tools. Seeing fresh blood smeared and bones littered across the floor. That was funny from him, too. Stephen proposed they find another path up the level uh, and find one uh, a level overlooking the room, because there's always one of those. Yep. So <laughs> Stephen climbs onto the platform. Surveying the area, Stephen finds more freshly filled canopic jars and snakeskin grafted onto a skeletal hand. Stephen and Layla are suddenly interrupted by loud clicking sounds, also creepy. As they quietly hide, the Hecka priest drags one of Harrow's injured but alive disciples, Billy, onto the slab. I thought that was Billy. I'm like, is that Billy? Gross. Stephen watches from above, and Layla crouches on the other side of the table. The humanoid figure cuts into Billy and harvests his organ while he was still alive. Yeah, and how is Billy not making any noises? I don't know. As Layla tries to quietly around the corner, she accidentally knocks into one of the jars, causing the Hecka priest to deposit its work. The Hecka priest lunges on top of the slab and in onto the platform. Mere moments of discovering and attacking Stephen, Layla distracts the heck of priest by smashing a jar across the room. Yeah, she, she picked one of the uh, empty ones. Can you imagine it? She splattered one. I'm like, oh, Layla. Oh, oh, gross. <laughs> Stephen tells Layla to run. He'll find her after. Turning in quite the little hero. Stopping it from pursuing Layla, Stephen pushes the alchemy lab over the platform's edge, believing he squished the assailant. <laughs> And rushes through the exit above. I squished it. I squished it. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I have questions about this, too. Like, okay, he just randomly did Eye of Horus, whatever. But if there was footprints everywhere, did even though they had the Scarab, did Haro's people just go down, like, all of the path then? And just some of them made it to the, the point where we see them? I would say so. They probably just spread out, took each path, and yeah. the heck of priests got most of them. Yeah. That was kind of alarming. You'd think that would be a little bit of a setback <laughs> for Haro's mission to have all these right. creepy heck of priests uh, going about and disemboweling people. Yeah, and that noise, I kept thinking it was kind of like the ah-ah sound, like no, 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 no kind of thing. <laughs> That's what I kept hearing every time. But I'm like, what are they doing? It's so creepy. Yeah. Thanks for making it super creeps. Sound somewhere before. Yeah. Yeah, the predator. Yeah. <laughs> Probably it. And there was another, <laughs> no, there was another one recently too with the clacking teeth. You know, what was it? I think we covered it, but whatever the monster would go, the teeth. Oh my God. It reminds me of something from Hellraiser. One of the Cenobites were doing that. So yeah, it's like just a creepy sound. Thanks, Marvel, for giving us nightmares now about that. Mm. All right, let's talk about Giant Pharaoh. But before we get there, Layla finds herself alone and separated from Steven in a dark collapsed chamber, wary of the heck of priests. Because we know he is nearby. And she runs out to the edge, almost falling, but catching herself. We have a cavernous chamber, and we hear the clicking. 
for some reason, she's like, let's see how far down this is. I'm going to stop you right there, Layla. It's really far. (laughs) (laughs) No need to set off a flare and send it down. No. Don't fall. Okay. (laughs) That reminds me of Indiana Jones when he takes a leap of faith and he scatters the uh, dirt across the invisible bridge. Yeah. That every time gets my stomach's like, oh my God, he's going to (laughs) fall. Quickly and carefully, Layla makes her way across the chamber, holding on to small crevices as she moves down the crumbling narrow path along the wall. And all sorts of weird creepy stuff because landing on a wider part of the ledge, the Hecka priest emerges from a deep crevice, pulling Layla into the darkness. Now, first we get the hand coming up. I'm like, oh my God, this is like horror movies. Stop it. And it was so dark watching this. I'm like, wait, is there something there? Is there not? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But Layla is feisty. There, we'll use that word because she managed to resist and she gets knocked onto her back very close to the edge. As the treacherous heck of priest tries to pull her back into the crevice, and next thing we know, he's on top of her while she's got his hand that apparently <laughs> she managed to pull off. Right. I love how she's like, eh, and just throws it over the edge. And uh, she does manage to defeat the heck of priest, well, as best she can. We don't know if it's truly gone, right? By lighting a flare and plunging it into its skull and pushing it over the edge. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know if that would be the end of it or what's going to happen since we are still, you know, in the the whole tomb at the end. What if it comes back and it's got like the flare? That'd be really creepy. He just popped out of the hole on the other side of the planet. Right. In the middle of somebody's (laughs) picnic or something like that. Oh, my God. What is that? (laughs) He's like, wait a minute. This isn't my area. Hold on. This is weird. Yeah, excuse me. (laughs) Yeah. Layla screams out in frustration. We would all do now that we finally are not going to be killed by a giant dead priest. And uh, Haro's watching from across the chamber. Listen, Creeper. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's his voice, but damn, Ethan Hawke is really good as this creepy guy. Elsewhere, we see Stephen in the tomb fit for a pharaoh where golden sarcophagus lies in the center of this chamber surrounded by a pool of water. The room is adorned with prized possessions, including a bronze stallion. Could it belong to Nefertiti? I don't know what down on Tutmus the second. And in the pool of water, Mark's reflection tells Stephen he was surprised by both Stephen kissing Layla and that he told her the truth as to why Mark was pushing her away. Now, this was interesting, and we were talking before we jumped on here. I had to put on the closed captioning here because I thought he sounded a little different. When he was Mark talking to him, and I wanted to make sure that Mark was saying, you told her why I was pushing her away, because I thought he said we. Little things like that make a difference. Stephen appreciates the acknowledgement, but he's undeterred and overwhelmed by the splendor of what he is seeing, and astonished by the fact that a Macedonian scripture is on the sarcophagus. Stephen realized there's only one would have Macedonian on the tomb, but wanted to be called Egyptian. This is the long-lost tomb of Alexander the Great. And he had that whole big grand pull away and seen the sarcophagus, and it was so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I was just excited as Stephen was. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) Haro tells Lila that her father, one of Egypt's more unique archaeologists, 
would have been so proud of her if he knew she was among the first to confirm for the world that what he had always believed, Egyptian gods walked among us. Looking upon his cane, Emmett's gift to her previous avatar, Haro shares that the scales achieved their judgment by revealing to him the moments of sin and pain in each person. He cautions that he read her husband's scales and that the scales do not lie. Mark has been, more, has been in more pain and agony than anyone can bear. Haro confirms that Layla's father was murdered by mercenaries and remarks how no one knows who they were. Layla refuses to continue the conversation with Haro's inference that Mark was one of the mercenaries who had anything to do with her father's death. Before she exits, Haro offers one additional detail. Mark remembers everything that happened that day. Everyone who died, but one man stands out. A man with a fuchsia scarf, the scarab designs, handmade by his daughter. Oh, you creep. Harrow He's Hunt. like a Bond villain. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> They just can't say it. They just have to tease it out. Yep. Haro hopes she's able to find closure, telling the devastated and betrayed Layla to wake up. Back in Alexander the Great burial chamber, Stephen opens the golden sarcophagus. As him and Mark figure that that's where the Ishbadi has to be. Alexander was the voice of Amit, then Amit's Ishbadi would have been concealed in Mr. Great's throat away from the average yep. looter's discovery. <laughs> I thought that was pretty ingenious that yes. he thought about that. <laughs> Moving the bandages, Stephen searches behind the mummy's throat. As he pulls his arm free of Alexander's mummified remains, Stephen discovers the prized his body of Amit. And boy, uh, was he excited about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But when he was talking to his reflection, I had the closed captioning on again. And we're assuming it was Mark, but it did not say Mark. Oh, and then there was, when you heard him say a few words, I'm like, that doesn't sound like Mark. It sounded like kind of New york accent. The way words were pronounced were a little different. So I think this is a third personality. So I'm like, are we going to find out? Are we really going to see something? Because I was like, <laughs> which there's more that I have about this because I was super excited. I'm like, what is it? Who is it? Say something. Yeah. <laughs> But I just thought it was cool. (laughs) Yes. I thought it was cool that they kind of like slide it in there where I had to like go back and forth probably four times. And then on second watch, same thing. That's why I put on the closed caption because I'm like, something sounds a little different. Layla enters and Stephen cannot contain his excitement as he shows the small statue to her. Like it's an Oscar. Yes. (laughs) Still shaken and furious, Layla demands to speak to Mark in this moment. Mark takes over the body as Layla demands to know the truth about her father. Mark pleads that this is not the time and place they have to leave before Haro did have a point there. Yeah, and I was kind of (laughs) I was kind of mad that she's like, Oh no, we need to talk about this now. Do you know everything that's going on? You remember you killed that one thing that may not actually be dead? Right. Yeah. TikTok. She wants to know if Mark killed Abdullah El Foley. Realizing he needs to resolve this, Mark meekly replies, Of course I didn't, with the pangs of remorse and shame, but he was there. Tells Layla his partner got greedy and executed everyone at the dig site. Mark wasn't able to save her father. Partner shot him as well, and he would have died that night like her father if he hadn't made a deal with Kamshi. Incredulous, Layla realizes that this was the reason they met. Mark just had a guilty conscience. Ouch. 
<laughs> yeah, that was a little painful when she said that, and he didn't say, no, no, that's not true. It's like, oh. Yeah. And then, of course, Haro and his disciples enter the chamber. Armed with rifles, they find only Mark as Layla Hyde. Haro tells Mark he remembers the silence, the first morning without Kanshu in his head. Wyatt was liberated. Now that he's a free man, he has an important decision to make. Making one final stand, Mark kills two of Haro's men. Disappointed, Haro <coughs> shoots Mark in the heart as Layla witnesses the horror. Mark stumbles back. Haro fires a second shot at Mark's heart. Can't save anyone who doesn't save themselves. Mark's lifeless body lies in a pool of water in the chamber until it slowly starts sinking <laughs> into the abyss. Yeah. That was so weird, and I'm like, wait, how deep is that water? What's right, happening? Yeah, it was, when we we should wonder what the water like, was for in the first place. Why yeah, put a pool of water? water or something? Well, when we first see it, it only looks like it's yeah. maybe a foot deep. Yeah. I, I, maybe it's, it's purification, it's, is what yeah. I'm thinking. It's a Lazarus pit. Yeah. The crossover. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure he actually got him in the heart. I know he shot him in the chest right, a couple times. Yeah. That looked pretty fatal in and of itself, but yes. then it makes me wonder if there's some type of healing or spiritual properties. In the water, exactly. In water, yeah, weird. Something we'll have to explain. Just transcendence. Yes, yeah, something's got to explain what happens next. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Anyway, we come across two adventurers navigating a swamp-like jungle. The young ward, Russell, exhausted from the heat and the journey, rests alongside a rock and accidentally dispatches a trap, releasing a skeleton from above. The older explorer gently reminds Russell the bones can't hurt him. Cap still. Yeah. <laughs> With Tell compass that in to hand. A priest. Yeah. <laughs> in your face. With compass in hand, the adventurers continue through the jungle, coming across the statue of the lunar god of the Aztecs. Now everybody's getting a turn. Yeah. Russell suddenly realizes whose company he's keeping. Dr. Stephen Grant. The adventure is a movie playing on a television monitor at the Putnam Psychiatric Ward, Mark Awakens. With limited access to his motor skills, taking in his surrounding, Harrow's disciples are staff members at the hospital with him among the patients such as Crawley, Donna, and Layla. The barely loosened Mark looks out of his reflection in the window, whispering, Stephen, as he holds onto his Moon Knight action figure. Where do you get that? I don't exactly. have one. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> his reflection doesn't respond, upsetting Mark as he stumbles out of his wheelchair. Mark is suddenly in Dr. Arthur Harrow's office. He is dazed as Harrow acknowledges that Mark has had some di great difficulty differentiating between what's real and what's in his head. Harold tells Mark he borrowed his VHS film, Tomb Buster, for the star adventure of Dr. Stephen Grant, Tomb Buster. Wow, that's pretty lame. <laughs> Amused Harold states he's a fan of the villain in the film. Of course he is. And the comments on the Lunar God featured before questioning Mark's prior statement of working for one. What did you make of the similarity? Is that a coincidence? I thought it was interesting when they were showing the movie how... The uh, what Stephen Grant says something about, oh, do you notice anything weird talking about the statue? And then when you look at that Aztec god, it had multiple faces. It was like split. Right. And then actually in the closing credit, we get Mark's face like that. Mark, Stephen, whatever, Oscar yeah. face. Kind of the same way. And it's like, ooh, was this supposed to be like all the personalities? And I will tell you, as I was watching this, I did not know. I mean, I thought it was a little over the top, but I was starting to wonder what was real. Right. And uh, Although when we do have the guy calling Bingo, which turned out to be the statue guy. Right. Standing <laughs> the same way. I'm like, wait a minute. He's not calling numbers right. So this is weird. So I was like really interested watching this and, and being pulled in wondering, 
is this real? Is it not? Because Mark's muttering that he thinks someone drugged him. And Haro is reminding him, well, we had to sedate you for your own behavior. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty obvious is what I was thinking. And suddenly he starts taking in familiar objects like Haro's cane, the portrait of an alpine village, statue of an alligator-like figure, and Mark's mumbling that it all reminds him of something. And I love it. He's like, it reminds me. It all reminds me of something. And Haro's like, does it remind you of Steven? And then suddenly Mark remembering and he's like, you shot me. I love how that's what kind of woke him up. I mean, you know, hey, whatever works, I guess. Distressed, Mark looks for a means of escape. Not doing very good because of the effects of the sedative. He is struggling to crawl across the floor and walk like he broke his foot or something at one point is what it looks like. But Mark manages to leave the office. Not very gracefully. By breaking the window, um, was it kicking or hitting Billy in the nether regions? <laughs> and then biting Bobby as they tried to pull him back into Haro's office. And this is why I was saying I wasn't sure if it was real or not. Because when Mark gets away and he's running down the hall, we go back to Haro. And Haro's like, don't hurt him. Are you okay? And I'm like, wait a minute. Why would something be asking a delusion be asking another part of the delusion if they were yeah. okay. You know? <laughs> That's why I was like, wait a second. He's a lucid dreamer. Yeah, I'd say so. But we see him running down the hall, which was really creepy too, because the whole hall started moving. Yeah. I'm like, Nightmare in Elm Street much? <laughs> Severance. Those <laughs> Byzantine hallways like on Severance. It's all creepy stuff happening all at once. So Mark ends up ducking into a room to hide. And when the coast is clear, he realizes, hey, this room is not empty. There's a sarcophagus rattling, and you hear somebody from inside asking to be let out. When he opens the sarcophagus, Mark finds a frantic Steven trapped within. And upon seeing each other, it was that Spider-Man meme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's you. How? I don't know. But they hug each other. It's like, yes. <laughs> it's like, yes, it's happening. Because how are we standing here? Who cares? Let's figure this out later and let's keep moving. I love that moment. Yeah. (laughs) Despite being so antagonistic towards each other, even in this, what's probably some type of illusion or whatever, they hug hug it out like, it's you, buddy. Yeah, I love it. What's the last thing you remember? He shot us. Yeah. All right. We're on the same page. But then they start running to try to escape and they pass another room, which has a standing sarcophagus that's rattling. Now, online, people were questioning, was this another personality? That's what I was thinking. Was that Amit somehow? Was it something else altogether? And I love how everybody's just like, okay, let's just go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> it's like never ending. What if? Yeah. But they, yeah. But they don't <laughs> open it. No, they just keep going. Yeah, they just kept going forward. They get to a set of doors ready to open it, and Mark and <laughs> Steven are startled because the doors open and it's yet another deity who emerges. <laughs> Tawaret, I think is how you say it. A hippo goddess and she's just crying. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was dying because it's like you don't expect like this big massive creature to be like, Hi guys. Yeah. It's like they scream. <laughs> that was like hilarious. <laughs> yeah. the face. I love how you played that, especially as Steven, because Steven looked absolutely terrified. I know. <laughs> what a way to end this episode. Oh, my yeah. God. And it's like, what is this? 
And then I think you had brought it up in the first episode about the hippo goddess, right? The stuff goddess, the toys. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like everything's coming around. It's kind of crazy. And I had a question for the guys actually before we started when they were walking and that God, I mean, they were walking to the camp and there was that goat ram. Right. There's a God. Uh, how do you say the name? Kanum, which is an Egyptian God. And I was wondering, it's originally the God of the source of the Nile. And then there was water in the tomb. Could this kind of be connected? I mean, I'm starting to like see Easter eggs everywhere that there's not Easter eggs. So I don't know. So uh, they still like to make thematic references, though, even though it may come to nothing. Right. It's still fun to insert all these things. Oh, absolutely. They want everybody online going, well, what could this be? Like me. The cottage industry online theorizing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to dabble in that myself. <laughs> Until we ran out of tinfoil. Anyway. <laughs> so who's ready for Easter eggs? What? Take it away. Take it away. Moon Knight Episode 4 opens with a freshly imprisoned Khonshu escorted to his resting place. As the camera zooms out, however, the audience beholds an entire wall filled with statues of trapped Egyptian gods. I asked the guys before we went on air if they also thought that uh, it could have been just a trick like Indiana Jones. But right, as yeah. Steve, pointed, Steve pointed out, one of the, the ones was too small. So. I guess they, that overvoid is too great to share. Yep, you cross the line, going to put you in your cubbyhole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Moonlight doesn't provide enough information to discern whom these naughty deities might be, but big hitters like Anubis weren't present during Episode three's communion scene, suggesting that they might be placed inside an Ushpati of their own. Another possibility is Ramu Tut, the Kang variant, although he's a pharaoh and not a god, but the Ushpati statue that stands out most in Moonlight Episode 4's opening is the small one, half as tall as the other ones. And from Egyptian mythology, this is very likely Beth, uh, not Beth, Beth. The character also found in the Marvel comics as the one-time ally of Thor Odin's son. Wow. Yeah. Could they be in the used body realm? I keep thinking used body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. I, I, have you guys seen the uh, the new trailer for the Thor no, uh, movie, Love, Love and Thunder? Yes, I did. Yeah. Very. It looks super exciting. I think and, they were trying to hint at something, and I don't know if they're going to connect it, because, you know, sometimes this is like, I don't want to say a long con, but sometimes they take a while to connect these dots. Yeah. So anyway, Moon Knight's Beetle teases a new comic character. Scarab Beetles have played a significant role in Moon Knight thus far, and it's not hugely surprising to see a beetle pop up as Episode 4 returns to Stephen and Layla in the desert. It is, however, potentially important that this bug is virtually stalking Layla. Considering a second connection between her and the Scarab Beetle later in the episode. The Beetle God. Yep. Wait, there's a Beetle God too? No. Oh no. <laughs> we didn't see. What was the last time we saw the Scarab? It was in his hand above where the... Uh... Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe they don't it... use it underground. Maybe they... Maybe no, it no, work. When he went in, he had it in his... Haro had it in his hand when he went into the, the room with the sarcophagus yeah. for yeah, yeah, Alexander yeah. the Great. Because that's when he, like, starts taunting Mark. Come on, Harold, just yeah. use the damn thing. When they got there using the, the scarab beetle to find where the sarcophagus was. So. Yeah, that's what I thought was weird. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot I had this. This is what it felt like. To run from the Hecka priest. No. I think he's running too fast with glass uh, in his shoes. No. Yeah, I know. Great, 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 great. So back in Moon Knight episode two, Stephen Grant met a goat whilst enjoying a tour through Arthur Harrell's cultist village. 
As he and Layla venture through a canyon towards Ammit's tomb in episode four, a goat watches ominously from a bug above. It's just a running joke, not worth bleeding ourselves up over or is <laughs> oh something deeper. Oh, oh. Perhaps foreshadowing the arrival of the Egyptian goat Kunum. I didn't oh. even realize about seeing the goat in episode two. Right, yeah, in the village. Yeah, there was a Oh my gosh. Probably because not, it's not until now that I'm like, but what is this? What could this be? <laughs> now I'm hoping that uh, when they do uh, release Kanshu, they probably will, I guess, uh, all the other gods will pop out too. That would be awesome. Right. You'd be like the genie, just like, boop, 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 oh. popping up everywhere. Hopefully Agnes Moorhead can uh, oh wrap that in there somehow. <laughs> so just just give her a bewitched little wiggle of the nose or whatever. I, 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 what was the name of Agnes Moorhead's character in Bewitched? It was... Uh, Mother-in-law, and she used to just throw her arms yeah. in the air and just Andorra. Andorra. Yeah. <laughs> You're missing something today's kids. Anyway, <laughs> hey, Google it. Raiding deeper into Amit's tomb, Steve Grant and Layla Croft encounter a Heka priest. A Heka is an Egyptian god of magic, and the priests depicted in Moon Knight are his followers. Though any connection to Marvel Comics lore is tenuous, there is a, a Heka nut in Mystic Arcana Magic Number One. Uh, a sorcerer adorned in similar garb to the version seen in Moon Knight, Episode 4. Except this guy wears rotted clothes. Yes. <laughs> was he wearing clothes? No, no, no maybe was just not. Skin. <laughs> Gross. Yeah, he grafts snakeskin yeah, onto himself what, together. What was that? I didn't understand that. Is that another god? I mean, probably. I give up. There's so many Egyptian gods. We got a, a Layla fight reference that was in from Moon Knight's debut, Episode 1. A Moon Knight Easter egg appeared. As Layla battles a vicious Heka priest in episode four, she's dragged out of sight into a, a dark crevasse. <laughs> and the sounds of a scuffle can be heard in the distance before Layla frees herself and scuttles back into a wider cavern area. A battle, and in particular Layla being dragged away, then popping back out, is reminiscent of episode one's fight between Moon Knight and the Jackal, which was brutally dragged back into the museum bathroom. Layla fares better against her opponent, fortunately. Yeah, well, I like her ingenuity. <laughs> That was still amusing with the jackal, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you guys see uh, the movie Drag Me to Hell? No. Oh. What about you, Steve? No. Yeah. Because they literally drag Very, somebody yeah. like that. Spoiler alert. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty brutal. I love that movie. You guys well, should check it now out. Now I gotta watch it. Now, yeah. Oh, it's a good one. That's a good one. So, also, Moon Knight, episode four, completes Mark and Layla's comic backstory. Moon Knight has repeatedly hinted toward Mark Spector's dark past, some connection to the death of Layla's father. Episode 4 finally sees Arthur Harrell confirm Mark work for a team of mercenaries who attacked her dad's archaeological dig site and killed everyone present. Mark later makes the papyrus-thin excuse that while he was there for the attack but didn't actually pull the trigger. Here, Moon Knight fully adapts Mark's comic book origin. In Marble Source material, he assaulted the site alongside a fellow mercenary called Bushman, who went too far and started blasting folks. Unhappy with his partner, Mark betrayed Bushman. He was killed in response. The same likely happened in the MCU, leading to Mark Spector becoming Conchu's avatar. Yep, why not? Yep. Kind of happy we didn't see a flashback, but we still might. You never know. So did Moon Knight's uh, Alexander the Great reveal set up Zeus and or Kang? Stephen Grant is amazed to learn Amos' tomb actually contains a long-lost buddy. Buddy. Yeah, buddy of Alexander the Great. He'd be my buddy. And while viewers will know his name from the annals of history, Mr. Great, also plays a key role in a Marvel canon. As the name already implies, Alexander the Great was not known for his humility and proclaimed himself the son of Zeus. Russell Crowe will soon portray the Greek god in Thor, Love, and Thunder, so it's possible the MCU will draw us the same connection 
know, the Alexander, the half-human offspring of Crow's character. MC- yeah. uh, the MCU debut of Alexander the Great was lots of them. They also connect to Kang the Conqueror, the villain that was set up by Loki. During Kang's Marvel comic crusade, he draws upon the historical Macedonian ruler as inspiration, weeping when he runs out of worlds to conquer. I know, bummer. Yeah. Wait, I had read about another one, though, that it might be setting up the villain for, I think it's Thor, Love and Thunder, the god killer. I don't know the name of the character. Right. Yeah, what's his name? Christian Bale's character. Yeah, so what if it's doing that, too? I mean... There's so many what-ifs. And, oh, yeah, that's a whole other series. We'll get there. Mark's Hospital is based on the Moon Knight comics. Yep, it's here that Moon Knight Episode 4 takes on a turn for the trippy switching from Indiana Jones to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> the hospital sequence seems to take place within Mark Spector's mind, which would pull directly from the Jeff Lemire 2016 comic book run. Here, Amit forces Mark into believing he's a patient in a mental facility and his adventures as Moon Knight were merely imaginary fabrications. You can't trust a damn thing out of that guy's mouth. No. <laughs> you notice how he's always so sympathetic with his victims, too? Oh, yeah. Please. So galling. Wake up, he says to Layla. Come on, he don't care. <laughs> Even that little old lady he murdered. Yeah. <laughs> in the Alpine village. Oh, I'm sorry you can't see what the rest of our guys are going to see in the future. Bye. So, every returning character in Moon Knight's Episode 4 Hospital, the whole gang returns to Moon Knight Episode 4 Hospital, St. Donna, Stephen Grant's supervisor from the museum, is a patient, and she deserves to be. Yep. And, <laughs> and Crawley, the human statue, calls bingo numbers. Bobby and Billy, Arthur Harrow's lackeys, are both hospital orderlies. And this is especially interesting since the original Margaret comic characters were featured in that very same guise. Back, the henchman Layla fought. In episode three, is another worker, while Layla herself is among Mark's fellow patients. Excitable, too. We won! Yes. <laughs> and then I uh, won. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she said that to him, then she runs from over and says, I won! Predictably, Arthur Harrow is Mark's psychiatrist, but most important of all, a huge welcome back to Gus the Goldfish. I forgot to look if he had one or two fans. Did you guys pick that out at all? <laughs> I was trying to see, but he was just like... In... Swimming about? He wasn't swimming, was he? I thought it was just like frozen right there. I know. That's why I'm like, he's not bobbing. He's just not moving. Did you see uh, a patient playing with a Rubik's Cube? Yes. And the drawing? <laughs> it's a quick fire Moon Knight Easter egg now as episode four takes a whistle stop tour through a hospital lounge filled with callbacks to past episodes. The fun begins with a patient solving a Rubik's Cube, a reference to episode one, when Stephen was desperately attempting to keep himself awake. The hospital clock has Conchu's staff. Oddly, the clock behind Donna has two large hands. And one is in the shape of Conchu's crescent moon staff. Damn Donna. it, I didn't catch it. And I knew it had to be something. Nah, tick, tick. Donna is holding a scarab plush toy. Donna clutches a scarab plush toy. It feels like a two-layered reference and a nod to both the scarab compass Stephen fought Arthur Harrow over and the plush toys from London Museum. You can buy these online now. I want one. <laughs> a plush scarab? No, I'm Radio Hippo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you squeeze it and it goes, hi. <laughs> Layla's postcards are uh, from Stephen's apartment back in Moon Knight Episode 1. Stephen spoke to his mother on the phone about receiving another of her vacation postcards. That's going to have to c- come into play again before they wrap the season. The photographs Layla pins to the hospital are extremely similar and also located near Gusta Goldfish Bowl and were in Stephen's apartment. What Also, Layla's bandage foreshadows the scarlet scarab. Oh, yeah. Well, I actually hope they don't go with this, but as Layla draws her hand to her chin, comes close to Mark's face, saying, did I startle you? Notice the red scarab painted on her 
finger bandage. This is a clear nod to the Scarlet Scarab Marvel character, potentially foreshadowing introduction into Moon Knight Season 1. Layla's bandage also ties in Beetle scene on top of the episode. Yeah, I, I read that. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want Layla to be. Not everyone has to be a superhero that comes out of these shows, right? Maybe that'll take us into season two. Yeah, which uh, down at my local comic store, they they're convinced that there won't be uh, a season two. Unless I said, well, he's just not signed for season two. Right. You know, they said it's standalone, which is fine. But how many times have we seen these guys pop up in other movies? Or right. Whatever? So here's a candy Easter egg, which is appropriate. The candy that Layla enjoys in episode four of the hospital scene is another Moon Knight Easter egg, throwing it back to episode three when she ate the same sweet treat whilst waiting for Legaro to finish her fake passport. Yummy. Attempting to leave his wheelchair, Mark is spoiled by an ankle restraint and falls down onto the cold floor. Both the restraint and the manner of Mark's fall referred back to Moon Knight's early episode in Stephen Grant's apartment. Remember when Stephen jumped out of bed and immediately tripped? <laughs> He should put a little pool of water around his bed. <laughs> so what happened to the restraint when he went into Arthur Harrow's office? Well, he wasn't in the wheelchair, so maybe no, that's no. why. He was just, just in a in chair. A chair. Yeah. Okay. So it's also Beck's cake trolley referencing Moon Knight episode one. Beck is touring the hospital lounge, handing out cupcakes, a sweet Moon Knight, uh, Moon Knight Easter egg that harks back to the cake fan chasing sequence of episode one. I, I tell people to watch Moon Knight, and I'm like, it's not only adventurous, but it's funny. Where do you see the cupcake skip down the road? They're yeah. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a little uh, stuff from Arthur Harrow. Plenty of small details connect Ethan Hawke's psychiatry character to Moon Knight's Arthur Harrow. The doctor begins by quoting Carl Jung's famous line about trees ascending to heaven or descending to the depths of hell. So that's where that is rooted. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's an analogy of how Harold uses his staff to judge a person's soul. The landscape painting in his office, meanwhile, is the same mountain town Harold first appeared in Moon Knight Episode 1. In Arthur's fondness for the Tomb Buster movie, Dylan acknowledges his own baddie status. Finally, the Doctor's cane is straight-up swap for Amit's magical staff and plenty of Egyptian paraphernalia decorate his office. Yeah, cool. And... Escaping through the hospital, Mark Spector finds Stephen Grant trapped in a second sarcophagus. As they sneak down the corridor together, Moon Knight's dynamic duo passes a second sarcophagus, rattling away as the person inside struggles to break out. Well, say something! Yes! Don't just shake and bake. <laughs> this is certainly the third alter Moon Knight, as teased in recent episodes, most likely Jake Lockley from the Marvel comic books. Yeah, two episodes ago, people. Yeah. Start wrapping up this stuff. Moon Knight episode four Easter egg ends with the episode's final shot, the surprise debut of the Egyptian god Tawarat. Her arrival was hinted way back in early scenes of Moon Knight episode one, when Donna asked Stephen to pass a box of hippo toys only to have him correct her by pointing out that it's actually Tawarat. Yeah, he does it a couple times, like, no, yes. Tawarat. <laughs> See, had I paid attention, I would have known how to say it correctly. Yeah, that's well, it for Easter more, eggs. Uh, thoughts on this episode? Well, I hope they don't frustrate us and. and don't wrap up some of this stuff, but it, if it actually does lead to a surprise announcement, a la Boba Fett, to another <laughs> type of series or right, a continuation, yes. then I'll I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I'm just I'm just wondering if the last two episodes are like two hours long each, because how are we going <laughs> to? Wow. I mean, how are we wrapping it? It seems like there's no way to connect all these dots. But you know what? We didn't think we were going to get a Loki season two either, so. Maybe well, they're going to surprise us. I'd love to see him go back to New York City and team up with Daredevil. Yeah. 
Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you use for your podcast with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us, as there are plenty of other Marvel podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and I hope you're enjoying our podcast, and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. You can check everything out at www.fangirlzone.com. We have a contacts page to find all the ways to get a hold of us, because there are many, and we'd love to hear what everybody thinks. Because we are super excited and I need somebody to tell me other Easter eggs that they found. You know, the rabbit holes they went down. Because there's many. But for this episode of the Marvelous post Blip Podcast. I'm Steve. I'd shit myself, but I'd be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sean fangirl S. And wait, did you hear that? Was that a clicking? What? I'm just going to go over this way. And I'm Mischievous Dave. I tried to get a job as the stuntman kisser or kissy for Layla. <laughs> But I got the hippo instead. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, Sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone.